we're bringing together a microgrid that uses solar, it uses gas-powered generators, it uses batteries, it uses fuel cells, either natural gas or hydrogen, and it uses basically any AC or DC source. You can combine all these AC or DC sources inside our one unit, and you can get AC or DC out. Nobody has a device like this on the planet. Welcome to the Entrepreneurs for Impact podcast. My name is Chris Wedding. As a former environmental private equity investor, four times founder, climate tech CEO, coach, and professor, I launched this podcast to share the entrepreneurial journey, practical tips, and hard-earned wisdom from CEOs and investors tackling climate change. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. This is the number one way that listeners can learn more about the climate CEOs and investors I interview. All right, let's get started. My guest today is Harun Inam, CEO and co-founder of DG Matrix. DG Matrix is a power electronics startup building L3 DC fast EV chargers, how's that for lots of acronyms, that are 10 to 20 times smaller than competitors. They're also producing all-in-one single unit microgrid solutions as well. They have over 100 engineers innovating on these two products. Haroon has three decades of experience in executive product and operations roles in energy technology companies, including the commercialization of billions of dollars worth of power electronics products and over 50 patents awarded. So yeah, big time slacker. Just kidding, Haroon. Love you. Anyway, in this episode, we talked about their billion dollar pipeline of big companies that are excited to use their fast chargers, the benefits of chargers that are 70% smaller than competitors, the role of silicon carbide in their innovation, lessons from 30 years in power electronics, the benefits of improving EQ, aka emotional intelligence, earlier in one's career, and why he meditates and aims for a low ego. Hope you enjoy it, and please give Haroon and DG Matrix a shout out on LinkedIn, Slack, or Twitter by sharing this podcast with your people. Haroon Inam, co-founder and CEO of DG Matrix. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to share some thoughts with you. All right. So uh, as listeners know, we like to start with kind of a, a zinger out of the gate. And I think that, you know, for you all in Look, not a ton of time, really. A you know, a year or so out in the market, talking to big, uh, big corporates, big fleet managers. Interest in a billion dollars potential sales for you guys. You will clearly are solving lots of problems at once with these uh, EV fast. What is this? With these fast chargers. Dot dot dot. Where do you want to take that conversation, Arun? So yeah, I, I think arguably the sales pipeline is, is much bigger than that because of conversations we've had with major customers. It's not like they're thousands of customers. There's like maybe 15, 20 customers. But we're looking at a sales pipeline between a billion, billion and a half dollars. And and I don't think we've even started formally going out through trade shows and, and making people aware. And yes, 
we happen to have one of our products that's an EV charger, uh, which, which is a product in a monstrous market. But really what we're doing is we're combining multiple energy sources to deliver power, AC or DC, to uh, uh, combining multiple energy sources to deliver that or either AC or DC. So we can be a charger or we can be a micro cellular utility anywhere in the world, powering up schools and, and hospitals and whatnot. And interestingly enough, the hardware is 99% common. So yeah, that's, that's what's driving it. On top of that, Chris, we are one-fourth to one-tenth the size of pretty much everybody else in the world because of our game-changing technology. And that includes multi-billion dollar conglomerates. So yes, we have leapfrogged the industry. We're lucky enough to, to be in that position today. Great. So let's, let's drill down on, on a reference you made to some of these problems you're solving for, uh, for customers. So you mentioned the size reduction, dramatic size reduction relative to peers, both startups uh, and large corporates. What does it mean to the customer to have a smaller, fast charger? Well, so there's a debate out there. Does size matter to customers? And we are, one of our taglines is small size, big impact. Now, there are customers like in Manhattan, right? A school bus fleet in Manhattan for sure does not have the space or large infrastructure to go in and charge up those school buses. You could apply that to any downtown and any fleet, quite frankly. You could apply it to any seaport. They don't have enough space. You could apply it to a lot of FedEx offices, UPS offices. And do they have multiple megawatt capability to install multiple megawatts in those space-constrained suburban offices? So you start to add up this, fast food establishments, coffee shops that do not want to give up parking spots, absolutely size matters. You look at multi-story buildings, size matters. But let's say that to another set of customers, size doesn't matter. Well, I'll tell you what, size absolutely matters to DG Matrix. Because for, a, for a, when you have a product that small, your factory is also that small. The number of people you employ to build a product is also that small. But we're looking at a workforce of about 10 people. That's it. That per month could produce about a million dollars of chargers. Right? That number is absolutely staggering. And when you look at how we would, we would expand with about 20 to 25 people in the factory, we could do 100 to $200 million in a 15,000 square foot factory. Look at how amazing that would be for hyperscaling the business. So yeah, I think size absolutely matters to DG Matrix. And you could argue that to some customers, it's very important. And to others, it's not as important. But if there's going to be a, a race to the bottom, we can beat everybody else to that race to the bottom because of our very small size and our material advantage and our low overhead advantage. Right. So, I mean, beyond the actual square footage of the installation, there are these ripple effects that you just talked about. And so, where, where do you plan on building the factory and where will the, 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 the pilot installations go to, to let these large purchasers see that it works after many months and many dozens of people working on it? Yeah. So, we're going to install the first pilot in a uh, confidential location outside of Atlanta, 
with a partner that would sell potentially hundreds of millions of dollars of this product. We're installing a second one in Durham, North Carolina, so we're a trusted partner. And uh, then area companies and other customers can come uh, see both, uh, both uh, well, they can certainly come and see the Durham pilot. And how, how has DG Matrix been able to achieve these tech breakthroughs that it has? Sure. I think it's a, it's a sort of a different way of thinking. If you keep thinking the same way as everybody else is thinking, you keep adopting reference designs from vendors, you're going to end up with the same architecture as everybody else. So you have to think differently. And I think um, our chief technology officer is a, is a pretty famous professor in this area, and he's done deep research for a lot of years. So looking at the publicly published deep research, plus combining a lot of other things uh, that our engineers have put together, that's how we've come up with a new approach with new IP that is radically different. And maybe say more about the source of the IP here. You're, you, know, you referenced Dr. Bhattacharya at NC State. What kind of work of his and teams inside, outside of the university were kind of a foundation, let's say, for where, where DG Matrix could start? Sure, absolutely. It all starts with the foundation, right? The iPhone would have never taken off if you didn't have cellular networks or for all the connectivity. It wouldn't have taken off if you didn't have uh, miniaturized microprocessors, the ability to combine multiple functionality like gyroscope and, and accelerometers in a very, very small chip. So, so it's, it's, it's confluence of multiple technologies that allows you to be in a spot where you can do this. So for us, silicon carbide, white band gap devices laid that foundation. But it's not just that. It's the way that we have approached controls. It's the way that we understand down to the billionths of a second what device to power up at what point. And it's the way we understand intricate things about cooling uh, power electronics and uh, which materials to use. It's the combination of all those that have led to, um, to an IT that we can develop today. In summary, we're standing on the shoulders of giants and, and we have proprietary IP based upon standing on those shoulders. So earlier on, you mentioned these kind of two differentiators. One is the small size, which again, ripples beyond just the square footage of the installation and the multi-port, this kind of microgrid functionality. Maybe say more about why that part is distinguishing within the EV charging landscape. A lot of, lot of microgrids, the way that they're done today, they're mostly done at multi-megawatt level. They're custom engineered. So they're custom engineered. There's a lot of engineering time that goes in. You buy different pieces of equipment for different vendors, and and when you combine the equipment in the field or in your lab, and, and you commission it, and you get different forms of firmware and controls to work with each other. And no matter what, how hard you try, you're taking somebody else's work and, and trying to integrate it. So most microgrids are just based on gensets, generators and that, that burn fuel. We're bringing together a microgrid that uses solar, it uses gas-powered generators. It uses batteries. It uses fuel cells, either natural gas or hydrogen. And it uses basically any AC or DC source. You can combine all these AC or DC sources inside our one unit, and you can get AC or DC out. 
Nobody has a device like this on the planet. So you're, you're basically combining all these multiple sources in a distributed generation fashion to alleviate the utility feeder constraint, right? The utility feeders have a constraint. But we can combine distributed generation in a, in a very unique way on the spot to alleviate that while having the smallest footprint of anybody else. I think that's the thing. And, and in addition, you're killing the engineering time. You're killing the commissioning time. You're providing a ready-to-commission product with the field in an ultra-small package with, with simplified installation. You're changing the game. And with that, we're going after the biggest market with these commercial and industrial sites from 100 kilowatt to 1 megawatt, traditionally underserved because of long engineering and commissioning cycle. Does that help? Yeah, I think so. I think maybe maybe the audience is, is asking or wondering, to what degree is the multi-port important just for the EV chargers or as a standalone product, not an EV, but serving whatever, a Walmart, you know, building, let's say. Yeah, so I, I think I think it's important for, for both applications. It happens to be the same product with just different firmware loaded in it and uh, additional or different safety approvals, certification approvals. But hardware-wise, it's the same product. And that's another unique thing about our um, of our tech stack. And I think I think uh, EV chargers need this functionality because there's not enough use in the grid to power up all the EVs. Actually, a lot of high-power chargers are not getting permitting for the utility because they say we can't supply you this power. So we come in, we can aggregate all the energy for you on the spot and provide that power. That's big for the EV charger. And, and I think some listeners may also think, all right, so this is, a, this is another EV uh, charger company, lots of them out there. But I think some investor feedback you've gotten is, hold up a second. You're actually a power electronics company with two product types coming out of innovation in power electronics. Maybe just how would you respond or frame that for, for listeners, the difference in, I don't know, either the, the one line or the strategy you and your team are developing? Yeah, they asked us, they go, well, um, first of all, it's a highly different, the only differentiated EV charger in the market, but it's not an EV charger. It's a micro utility that has the juice to power up high-powered EV chargers, which are built in. And then on the other side, absolutely, this is a fund, um, a VC fund that has multiple billionaires in it. And, and their CTO told us, hey, you're really an innovative power electronics company that can hit multiple markets. And he's right. And the market he really focused on is powering up medical clinics, schools, buildings for children and people in Africa and Australia and Indonesia and in remote parts of Saudi Arabia or anywhere for that matter where you don't have the grid. I think that's what excites us the most that we have the ability to be a cellular micro utility and due to the help the world like cellular telephony helped the world over plain old telephone service. Think about the hundreds of millions of lives you can change by reducing uh, energy poverty. For sure. Let's, uh, let's back up a little bit. So this is not your first rodeo, as it were. You've been in the uh, kind of new ventures 
uh, power electronics world for a bit. Maybe maybe talk to us about how those prior experiences have prepared you for what DG Matrix is becoming. I think, Chris, when when you get into a certain field, you learn from your mistakes, but you never put those mistakes on LinkedIn, do you? You only put the minor successes you had or whatever. So so it's those mistakes you make. And and the more you try to do, the more mistakes you will make. The idea is not to be scared of those mistakes, but to learn from them and quickly develop solutions to overcome those. And I think I've, I I don't know why, whether maybe it was because I had nothing better to do, but that's what I focused on my entire life. And I think each one of the different jobs, each one of the different projects allowed a different learning skill set from, from making solutions for those things. So that's why DG Matrix was not created in a year. It's the culmination of what is now public IP or IP in the public domain plus private privileged information that's created in G Matrix through those lessons learned. Right. So, I mean, r- roughly 60 years between uh, you and your co-founder of lessons learned from deep tech to running companies in the power electronics space. Yeah. And, and beyond beyond you and Dr. Bhattacharya, maybe describe the composition of your team today and what it looks like on the pick a number, you know, 12, 12 24 months how that team dynamic, or composition rather, changes. Sure. I, I think, first of all, I'm going to start uh, from, from our board of advisors. So our board of advisors, which uh, many will become our board of directors, it has multiple folks that have been CEOs of both startups and billion-dollar companies in the clean tech space. So these folks are very well connected, and, and that's opened up a number of doors for us. Chris, I, I think you're also on, on that board, and uh, it's a privilege to work with you and to learn the feedback you provide, right? Learn yep. In addition to that, we now have about nine uh, executives, a team of total of nine executives that are coming in. And interestingly enough, almost all these executives have worked in multi-billion dollar companies. Some have handled multi-billion dollar expenditures with huge teams. But every single person that's coming in has some form of a hard tech background, a huge business sense and business background. Plus, they've all done startups one way or another. So I think we're, we're blessed with, with this team that has the knowledge set to quickly bring up DG Matrix processes to, to, to how big companies think, but with that extremely lean entrepreneurial way of doing it. So those are the those are the sort of uh, uh, advisors and management uh, executive people. In addition, we have in a stealth location about 100 engineers that are helping us. Actually, the number is more than that, but I don't want to alarm anybody. We have a number of engineers that are working very hard yep. to, uh, to bring the pilots to fruition in, uh, in January. So all, all of this is what helped us get here, plus our suppliers who are believing in our growth. And I believe it's true that that many of the more senior executives who are joining, while many have had startup experience, many are also choosing to leave uh, high-ranking positions at uh, big, often international companies because of the opportunity they see here with DG Matrix. You know? 
Absolutely. I, I think, you know, they may be getting decent bonuses where they are. They may be getting a steady paycheck. But this is an opportunity to um, earn an outsized uh, uh, level of uh, compensation as DG Matrix hopefully appreciates. In addition to that, I think more importantly, it's the chance to make a big impact on the world in terms of using far less material, having far less carbon impact as we electrify. I think both those, both those factors are important in their decisions. So a lot of this sounds really great, Haroon. Of course, it's, it's much harder than it may sound. What are a couple of the biggest challenges that DG Matrix has faced to get to this point? And then beyond this point, whatever, maybe it's the next 24 months, one or two biggest kind of bottlenecks uh, to reach its goals. And at one point, we were worried about where the next level of investment will come in from. We're no longer worried as we're so close to pilots and um, we have the finances to, to go through that. And I think we're very, very excited about, um, about what sort of interest we're getting now in the investment world. Our focus is getting, clinching that, showing the customers that we have very good reliability and a strong organizational focus on improving issues we find in the field, getting the bigger peel, and then going for the final uh, raise that will, I think, put us in a spot where we will be able to enter multiple markets at record speed. So the challenges are making sure we stay humble and focused on the problems that we need to fix to get to the next level and not get caught up in any arrogance or any pride of what we have done so far. We haven't done anything so far. We need to get stay focused on the problems we're going to encounter in the field, fix them fast, and prove that we have a reliable solution, highly reliable solution, better than the industry. So... In this podcast, we, we don't just focus on business, of course. So let's go to the person here, person of, of Haroon. What's an example of one or two strongly held beliefs, maybe even outside of business, that influence how you and the team are growing the company? Well, I think, I think uh, how we're growing the company is uh, we are very careful about who we bring in. And um, I, I think that the growth has to come where the first 50 hires, right, are going to be extremely important for the company. And that's where everybody has hiring challenges. What we want to bring in are people that are extremely competent in their area, number one. Number two, they present very well to each other and to customers. And number three is a very strong organizational fit, which means a low level of arrogance and a low ego. I think those three are, are what we're really looking for. And when you find that, you get magic. Yeah, I know on the, on the podcast before, we've, uh, we've talked about, I think this was with Brad Feld, talking about how investors, maybe especially VC investors, love CEOs they back to be not just passionate, but obsessed. And I think while that's true, and certainly you have that, it's it's like we want to have our cake and eat it too, because the, those investors also want CEOs to be uh, coachable, which ties in with your third bullet there, right? To have, to have the humility that we all have things to learn still. So not an easy task to be obsessed 
an, an obsessed visionary who's also coachable you know, by by investors. Yeah, I, I think you know you you'll have to be coachable. If you're not coachable, it makes um, it makes you very difficult to work with. Because everybody has some sort of constraints. Everybody has some sort of issues they want to resolve. And if you don't work with people and, and listen to them, you're going to have a lot more conflicts. And then that makes it difficult to run a business. So, And number two, if you want to be a coach like Mike Krzyzewski, a phenomenal coach, you have to be coachable yourself. So I think that's the main thing, that you must be coachable. Yeah, there's a, uh, there's a good saying I heard before. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Right, which is partly to say, build, build teams where where each individual excels in a certain area far better than you do, and then to kind of continue challenging your own uh, leadership and even technical skill set to do more to be better. You know? let's switch to looking backwards for a second, Harun. So, advice you might give your younger self to be uh, happier, more effective, more impactful along the journey. I think the biggest advice I was would give myself, the younger myself, is two things. Number one, develop some emotional intelligence earlier in life, buddy. Right? If I had, I think I would have been happier and I would have been, you know, more effective because I have this, this energy that I don't know where it comes from, but this drive is pretty strong. The problem is when you have a strong drive, you can also have a drive that ends up in, in wrong places when your emotional intelligence is not there at times. You get upset at wrong things. So I wish I had developed that emotional intelligence maturity at an earlier stage. The second advice that I would give to the younger myself is, hey, if you have this drive and you have this ambition and you're doing, willing to do the hard work, then relax and enjoy every single moment because life is precious and it's going to pass by both like this. So, so be happier. Be happy with everything you have rather than think about being miserable because you don't have this or that. Mm. Mm. If you're in the USA and you have some form of an education and you have a drive, you're already way ahead of the rest of the planet. Mm. So be grateful for the things you have before you lose them. That's true. Uh, on the first part of the developing more emotional intelligence. I don't know what, in your experience, what are a couple of ways that listeners could do that? I think there's a lot of good books to read. Um, Daniel, is it Daniel Coleman out of Harvard, who's written some seminal books on emotional intelligence? So just reading those books will, will show you that, that actually there are chemicals secreted in our brains. And not all of us are blessed with low levels of chemicals that cause your brain to be hijacked. But the interesting thing the research shows us is that as you meditate and as you deal with different situations, you can not only improve your, your emotional intelligence at a thought level, but you can suppress the basic chemicals from being secreted. So emotional intelligence can be learned, and it can be learned at that lizard level. So, so I suggest starting with those books from from Daniel Coleman and, and, and focusing on, on something like that. As far as gratitude is concerned, 
There was a mentor once who said, hey, Arun, you don't look very happy today. How come? I said, well, I wish I had more money. He said, so you'll be happier if you had more money? I go, yeah, I think I'd be happier if I had more money. And he, long story short, he, he told me about a friend who had just sold the company for 80 million cash, put the check in the bank, and four days later found out that he had terminal cancer and about six months to live. So he asked his friend, how do you feel? He says, I feel like I've postponed my happiness so long, and now I only have six months to live. I wish I had been happy every single day of my life. So that's mine. That was a lesson I learned from him, from Jay. Jay Howard, a good mentor and a friend from many years ago, mm. that's the lesson I'd like to pass on. That don't, don't put conditions on your happiness. Think of what you have and uh, enjoy life. Well, it's great. It's great timing that you mentioned that. This morning I was writing our or my weekly newsletter through Entrepreneurs for Impact. And I was referencing a, a, a formula for happiness by this Harvard professor and author named Arthur Brooks. And his formula is, it's the ratio. So on the numerator is what you have. And on the denominator, it's what you want, which, which fits in very nicely with what you just described. I think yeah, I that it was uh, interesting because I was saying, hey, this is, this is, um, Excellent. This is probably one big reason why Chris and I get along so well is that at the end of the day, we have deep appreciation for um, things that are uh, not measurable easily. Yeah, I think I think the meditation helps as well. Yeah, a, li a little a little equanimity. I, I think also you, you, that first point on on developing EQ, seeking and accepting and and, and doing something with more frequent feedback. In organizations, well, actually, inside the organizations where we work, as well as personally, I think is also a great way to develop emotional intelligence. I recall, and listeners have heard uh, a um, a moment when I was in private equity, and during my 360 review, the managing director said, "Look, in the past, Chris, you have uh, bristled at feedback," and I thought, "Ooh, that is not a good verb to use with receiving feedback." It was a good wake-up call to seek it out actively and do something with it. Yeah, I, I've, I've had um, folks that you know, don't want to hear the feedback, or when you provide, they ask for it, you provide it, they don't like it. So I usually ask people when they ask me for feedback, why are you asking? And, and so we, we clear that up with them up front, that the feedback I provide is just one person's opinion. It doesn't mean anything if you don't want it to mean anything. Mm. Don't take it personally. And, and then the second thing is, I'll provide feedback as I see it with all my biases and prejudices and all my imperfections. And so that doesn't mean it's perfect though. And then when I provide feedback, I'll provide it honestly. I'll provide it in a way that's respectful. I'll provide it honestly, the good and the things to improve upon. If that's the feedback you want, happy to have that session. If that's the feedback you don't want, then um, probably should seek it from somebody else. Right. Good guidance. We got uh, got two more here, Haroon. Tell us some uh, some habits or routines that keep you healthy, sane, and focused on the entrepreneur's journey. I think uh, the first thing that keep, helps me keep focused is right. I have I have this drive. So from the second I get up, till 
about 20, 30 minutes before I go to bed. I mean, I am engaged and I'm running at whatever, X kilometers per hour or X miles per hour. I have to, I have to focus on, on relaxation. And, and so meditation is, is very key, whether you do it by listening to music, whether you do it by dancing by yourself when no one else can see you or, or whatever. That relaxation, that meditation where you forget about work. And, and the second one is I think you have to refresh your blood actively. And, and whether you go for a walk or whether you do breathing exercises, whether you jump on your treadmill, that's staying healthy and, and, and exercising no matter how likely or how heavily is very key for you. Well, I think all the listeners want to see you, Haroon, dance when, <laughs> when no one's watching. Yeah, well, you know, there are songs written about that. And I definitely do not want to um, torture my viewers uh, by, by watching any dance that I do. Yes. It's fully declined. Thank That's you. That's right. That's why you asked the important question before we started. Wait, this is audio, not video, right? Yeah, yeah, just, just right. audio. Just That's right. That's right. Let's go to the last one here. Give us uh, either a few uh, books, quotes, et cetera, that uh, keep you and the team uh, motivated. Sure. I, I'll provide a book that I found very, very helpful under all sorts of uh, uh, different situations. Number one, the book is Art of War. It's written by some mythical Chinese general. I don't even know if I'm going to say the name right, but it's Sun Tzu, usually spelled S-U-N. TZU in, in the English language. It's a book that's taught in many business schools. It's a book that's definitely taught in military colleges. But this art of war or art of strategy is on how you generally think about things. And it's very, very helpful. And there's, there's one statement in there, never underestimate your enemy. Never underestimate your competition. And, and there's such pearls of wisdom in there that it's, it's definitely uh, something you learn, and you will continue to learn from that book uh, 10, 15, 20 years into it as you read it and reread it and reread it. There are multiple layers of lessons, and I found that to be very helpful. Mm, excellent. There are two quotes I'll share, uh, ones that I enjoy. I mean, there's a little book of quotes you can get. The ones I enjoy, one is from Andy Grove, former CEO of Intel. Only the paranoid survive. So it is, it is a chess game. Business is a chess game. Startup is even more so. You have to think of all the moves that you're making and how will the competition respond. And you have to be paranoid about some of those responses. You have, to, you have to make sure you think through this in the mind before you think through it in reality. In the mind, it costs less and it's quicker than the reality that you'll face with, with money and resources. Hmm. Yeah, I think I see a pattern there. Uh, don't don't underestimate your enemies and be and be paranoid in this chess game. You mentioned one more quote. Yeah. When you're driven and whatnot, you can you can you can ignore those sort of things. So maybe these come with my um, with my personality and my approach to things that you have to have a counterbalance to mm. to that drive and energy level. And I think you mentioned one more quote you like, Arun. It's a Buddhist quote. When the student is ready, the teacher shall appear. So when you keep yourself ready, you have a problem that you think is insurmountable. Rethink it again and see if you can ready yourself. And maybe the teacher will reappear or will appear. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, I think we, we touched on it earlier. We've all got to be ready to learn the next thing we need to grow. Haroon, uh, this has been great. Uh, look, we certainly as the board, but but well beyond the board, all the listeners rooting for the success of DG Matrix need these solutions in the field a big way. Yeah. Thank you very much, Chris, for, um, for the podcast. And I hope to uh, see you soon after Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening. And if you want more intel on climate tech, better habits, and deep work, then join the thousands of others who subscribe to our Substack newsletter at entrepreneursforimpact.com. Or drop me a note on LinkedIn. All right, that's all, y'all. Take care.